Am I allowed to banter? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you I didn't know quiet. Wanted, you should be quiet until we get <laughs> you wanted to introduce me first. Please oh, be also, silent. Surprise! Tyler's here. No, no, we we like it when like a mysterious voice is bantering and everyone's like, oh, who's that? <laughs> yeah. Who's this mysterious? Builds up the suspense. Why are they so good at banter? I, I hope they get introduced voice. soon. <laughs> yeah, it is Mother's Day. Yeah. This is yeah. true. Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Did oh. everyone call did everyone call your mom? I did. Oh. I sent her flowers. You I, sent your mom flowers? Yeah. What an overachiever. Yeah. Well, I have I, tried to call I my see mom. like once a yeah. year. I sent my mom cookies, actually. Oh, good. But they something. arrived like on last Thursday. Oh. So oh, yeah. I was like, oh, there's a free Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call her, too. Because I'm I, a good son. Should I'll we call her now? Again. I'm, I'm not going to. You want to talk to my mom during yeah. the podcast? Let's oh, all call our moms right now. Unprecedented. And they can do the banter. <gasps> they can talk to each other. Yeah. Don't my say mom. anything just like <laughs> about how much they love their children. Oh, my mom would definitely add to that banter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used a promo code that I had for an app where you can make a greeting card and then use like handwrite stuff on it on your phone and send it to your mom. Um, but I I used it last week, so she got it on Monday. And she was like, thanks for my Mother's Day card. I was like, oh, cool. I assumed they would delay sending that until Mother's Day. But um, happy Mother's Day. I guess I will call you on Sunday. So I did. Because you don't want to have to deal with the rush of people who are doing last-minute Mother's Day gifts. And so actually, you order it beforehand. Yeah, I don't like cards. I don't like the concept of greeting cards. They're I'm so expensive. Same boat. I am in the you same You can make boat. your own pretty cheap. Yeah. yeah, but like cards are like it's it's just a sentiment you mail to someone and they open it they're like cool and then they put it in the trash <laughs> or they're like do I have to keep this yeah, now? Yeah, I amazing. guess I'll put it in a shoebox in my closet so I can remember uh, this Hallmark card. I'm that... somewhere in between on all that because it is really nice to have a very nice note. But if it's just a card that's like Happy Mother's Day and you're yeah. like Love Megan, <laughs> yeah. then you know I, I'm still like should I keep those? You, you should write something that's nice enough. That they want to keep it around. every year. Like that's my <laughs> Does thing. Mother's though, like, Day have to be every. <laughs> hold on, yeah. hold on. Though. You can't write thirty nice things about your mother. I absolutely <laughs> could write something nice about my mom every time. But like a lot of the things I'm gonna say that are great about my mom are gonna repeat year after year because it's, okay. it's like they're it's old. Not, they're not gonna remember. My mom's <laughs> not that old, man. Uh, well, no, he, she's only what she, twenty years older than you. Oh, wow. uh, yes. Yeah. My mom is... And his stepdad's yeah, only 10 years older than him, so yeah. that's perfect. Wow. That's kind of weird. That's how old my brother is. That's how much older my brother is than me. Really? Yeah. 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 I, like, I always like to give my stepdad a hard time that when my mom had me, he was learning how to skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yeah. why don't we jump into an episode? Uh, let's do it. Hey, everybody. We are Experience Pointers. We are a trio today, a quattro. Is that a thing? I don't know. I yeah. think uh, it's a, qua- a quadet. Quadet? We are a quattro of role players, uh, gamers, and uh, game masters who like to talk about role playing games and all those things involving role playing games. And today we have a very special guest. We do. <gasps> who? Oh, so wait, you're... oh, that mysterious voice from earlier. Who was, who was that? Explain yourself. Hi, guys. Tyler Rhodes here. How are you? Very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of this podcast, and that is not an exaggeration. It's not a bluff. <laughs> I love you guys. I listen to the podcasts as soon as they come out. That's oh, true. Wow. He, he does talk he about does, it a yeah. lot. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you yeah. listen to that episode. Exactly. He, he, every he, every minute of every episode, I have listened to. Yeah, him. and he will often, when he's telling us, he'll pepper in details from the episode <laughs> so that we know for a fact yes, that he did listen. Yes. 
Yes. Um, so for those exactly. for those of you that don't watch Saving Throw or aren't familiar with the streams that we do on Twitch, uh, Tyler is uh, uh, one of the founding members of Saving yes. Throw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, for for those of you who don't know any of that, Tyler, could you let our listeners know a little bit about your history with RPGs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was sort of born into a family who was playing RPGs. Like I, I have never known a reality where there weren't role-playing games being played in the house. Oh, really? My, Whoa, yeah. oh, cool. That's like, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no, my uh, my dad uh, ran a campaign for my mom and my two younger brothers, uh, a basic D&D. This is the, the first version that came out Okay. Uh, in the in the 70s. My dad my dad ran that um, for his family. Um, and, you know, he has still has all his old campaign notes. And then uh, eventually my brother's... Um, got friends in high school and they came over and my dad would run a D&D for them and then the friends started dungeon mastering their own games and uh, my dad kind of uh, stepped back from the DM position and, and the other guys took over and so um, when I yeah when I was born it was just always something that was happening it was Friday nights were D&D nights um, and I would that's sneak into so crazy, <laughs> I'm so yeah. jealous. Oh my god! It, it, yeah, I find that's it's kind of unusual. A lot of people, you know, found it through friends, but my my family would they, like I was just born into D and D primarily. I think if Jordan could go back in time and steal anyone's life, he might steal yours. I might steal yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I but the thing was that like. My brothers are older than me. Uh, sure. They're, they're 10 years and 7 years, respectively. And so uh, it was not cool to have your younger brother sneaking in and watching you play D&D. &D. And so I was not allowed to even watch uh, oh. until I was uh, like 11 or 12 years old. And then I had to sit up in their bed and I could not make a noise. And if I made the noise, I had to leave the bedroom. Jeez. Um, they finally... Uh, I shouldn't say they, it was actually a different guy, it was one of their friends, finally let me play, finally let me join in the Dragonlance campaign uh, when I was 13. They gave me an NPC. Aaron oh. Talbo. He's oh. in the... Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I got to play Aaron Talbo, that was my first character, and he's an NPC. If any of you guys know Dragonlance... Um, he is very inconsequential. Is he still an NPC if someone else is yeah. playing him at yeah. the table? I mean, he had stats and everything, so, I mean... <laughs> kind of sounds like a PC that they were like, but you're not a PC. Yeah. You're a non-player character. <laughs> because he was just traveling with them to the... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Hux something. You're a so. PC. Yeah, I, I was with the group, and I had a character sheet, and I voiced not the GM, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was an NPC. It was, it was very clear that it, this was just a temporary, like, he's here to finish this mission, and then he's gone. So you're not really a PC, you're just being controlled by a player. You're just a, you're, you're a PC only in... <laughs> I mean, that's, Only an idea. That not sounds like name. splitting hairs to yeah. me. Oh, it absolutely. Seems, it just it seems like they were like, you're not a part of this, okay? <gasps> Understand that. that. It was a struggle getting into that group, man. <sighs> they were they were not uh, they were pretty exclusive. How did I your, had to earn that? How did your dad avoid the the typical father struggle of when your children are young, oh. they're like, oh, what dad likes is cool, but when they get older, they're like, oh, that's like old man stuff, like. D&D &D is for dads. Well, like, I, I, I think it was the switch. It was him stepping back and letting my brothers take over. Because everything my brothers did was so cool. Uh, okay. And, and this is... It's, this kind of messed me up, I think, uh, uh, psych psychologically, because I was convinced that my brothers were the coolest guys in the world, and they were playing D&D, &D, which <laughs> in the 80s was a death sentence socially. Yes, it was. Uh, it, was it, it, it was not... Something that you would openly discuss. 
Um, and I didn't realize that at the time. So I openly discussed it at my elementary school, and I paid the price for it. Uh, oh, no. Which was, which, was, which was pretty lame. But Were um, you labeled a devil worshiper at your elementary school? Uh, not, no, that was, they were, it was... At that point, it was more that I was uh, is sort of an irredeemable nerd. It's okay. um, not so bad. Uh, uh, my my church at the time they they <laughs> oh. had a special they had a special youth group about the dangers of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Really? No. Yeah. Wow. And, and I remember me and my sister kind of exchanging glances as that was going on. We were in the same sort of youth group, and like. Mm-hmm. The... That was the satanic panic, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Swing. Jack, uh, what's Jack Chick. Jack Chick, yeah. boy. Yeah, so. Jack Chick. Um, wow, okay, so you have uh, a, a, a rich history. Yes, you Yes, yeah, eventually eventually, I found my way into the group and I was playing with them sort of regularly. We would do Friday and Sunday nights. Um, and this was up from about 13 then through high school. Wow. And after high school, I kind of... I kinda, didn't play role playing games anymore. I couldn't find a group in college. Yeah, and I was in the theater department, so I have no excuse. I mean, they were all playing. <laughs> I, I would say actually, it, it probably probably nowadays it's differently with theater. Mm-hmm. But even when I was in college in the theater department, when Megan and I were there, it mm-hmm. was it was still very much mm-hmm. a social faux pas. Oh yeah, to be playing really? role playing games. Yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah. was only ten years ago. When we, we were discovered. <laughs> yeah, we graduated ten years, years ago, ago today. today. Oh, wow, hey, congratulations! Hey, oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> oh my god. But yeah. We were definitely outliers in my drama department, so it definitely makes sense that that would have still been hard for you to find yeah, in college. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I found a, a group that was playing, and I sat in a couple of times, but um, my girlfriend at the time uh, was not interested in me having... Um, Sort of my own thing. <laughs> okay. I don't, know how, I don't know how to say that nicely. Okay. Um, she didn't want you to be a PC. She wanted you to be an NPC. In the relationship. Yes. In the relationship. Listen, yeah, 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 you yeah. are being played by yourself, <laughs> uh, but I want you to understand you are not a part of this. I yes. control you. Uh, so, so yeah, I, 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 I learned my lesson after I tried to get in there a second time, and, and we had plans, apparently, that I wasn't let know. Anyway, I don't want to speak bad of her. Lovely woman. Mm. Okay. Um, in case she listens, she might be a fan. Yes, she is. <laughs> Name her. <laughs> it's, if you are listening and you're thinking this might be you, it's definitely not. No, it was someone not. else. It was the other one. Yeah, it was yeah, the other one from before. So. Um, so, what is your favorite role playing game system? If um, you had to pick just one, if if I had to pick just one, uh, I would say Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, and that is controversial apparently, um, uh, but that's that is what I played with my brothers. Like that was sure. all we played was Second Edition. You've got a lot of fond memories. Of I fell that. in love with it. I fell in love with all the source books. Especially all the, Thacko. Yeah, Thacko was so simple and it was delicious was and meaty. So simple, and you felt so smart. Yeah, calculating yeah, your Thacko. I, I felt real smart in Thacko. <laughs> let me tell you. I mean, uh, uh, Second Edition was my introduction to D and D as well. I didn't. I never played it. Right. But I had all the books. We did play it, but not as at a that kid. Time. As a kid, sure, I never we played, played it. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, well, I tried to play it. it. There were several miscarriages of campaigns, basically. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, the source books you're talking about, like all the they had all the handbooks for that, mm-hmm. like fighters' handbook. Oh, uh, I, I, I thought of this when you guys were. Um, what, what was the, the that series that you did? Was breaking the meta, breaking the mold, breaking the mold. See, he listens and he can prove it. <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, um, because in each one of those little handbooks was like were various kits. Um, yeah, you know, oh, and, yeah. and that like forced you to break them all. Like in the in the bard's handbook, there was you know they had like the traditional bard, and then they had like the jongleur who would like juggle knives, and that oh, was his cool. performance thing. And so like they they did all that kind of heavy lifting for you. 
Um, and that's what I would do when I was creating a character was I would, I would flip through and be like, Ooh, the blade, what's the blade like? And then I would just kind of go from there as opposed to just looking at Bard. I had Bard and then the kit was something specific. Oh my God. What that an amazing segue. Good, right? Such a good wow. segue. I'm a that's professional. What, that's what we're Clearly. talking about today. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So today we're going to talk about, uh, the importance of character backgrounds, but Real quick. So, yes, that's what we're talking about. But before we get into it, I do have to address our sponsor. Oh, 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 yes. Ben Danish. Today's episode of Experience Pointers is brought to you by Ben Danish. And this is Ben Danish's A Pun of the Sode. All right, let's hear it. All right, guys. Now put on your thinking cats. Cats? You said cats. Put on your thinking cats. I'm going to do that. I like this already. (laughs) Place him on my head. Wrap it around your neck. (laughs) Where does a Kit Kat go to get drunk? Where... Does a Kit Kat go Something to get drunk? The candy bar. Oh my god, yes! What? Is that right? Was <laughs> the that right? correct answer is... I did it! Uh, oh. A candy bar. I was trying to go Prohibition. I was like, let me think. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I was trying to work in like the break, like he takes a drinking break. break. Oh, no, it was a candy bar. It I was, overthink these things. It was it. not anything about the 30s era um, <laughs> <laughs> alcohol legislation. <laughs> It was a candy bar. What do I win? What do you win? You win the continued sponsorship of Ben Danish. So thanks very much, Ben Danish, for sponsoring our show. We appreciate it. Good man. All right, let's jump back in. Uh, Yes, so today we are going to talk about the importance of character backgrounds. And this is actually a topic that Tyler brought up to me when we were on our way to our Big Bear trip. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'd love to do an episode like that. I'm like, well, let's do it next week. So here he is talking yeah. about character backgrounds, and uh, so we're gonna go around the table, starting with you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want you, I want to hear like your general philosophy on how you deal with character backgrounds of characters that you create, and how you like to deal with it when you're a, G- a GM of a game and having your players build character backgrounds as well. Yes, um, yeah, I can talk about both of those things. Sure. Uh, I, when I in when I know that I'm going to be starting up uh, a new RPG, I mm-hmm. I usually start with just the basics. Like uh, I'll, I'll use uh, Garov's game as an example. Um, uh, That's of, it's always cloudy in Barovia, yes. which is the mm-hmm. game that Garov is GMing on. Take me through. Right, you can find uh, old episodes on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably won't be able to catch the last episode before then, but mm-hmm. um, or, or the final episode. The mini. It'll be out by the time this podcast. Yes. Out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, what I wanted, it just kind of starts with an idea of like, you know, I want to play a necromancer. I want to play a necromancer who can fit into a, a, a lawful good party. Um, or even a lawful neutral party, or basically not a party of evil people. I want, I want to play a necromancer who isn't overtly uh, sinister and evil, right? Uh, and so this is just kind of, it, it, it's something that I focus on. Uh, for the duration of the week, I, I you know, I'll, I'll go back to it. I'll be, you know, uh, walking to my car, and be like, oh yeah, that would be kind of interesting. And so, uh, what I did uh, with Mirko um, was, uh, I, I made him. I, I was like, what? At what point did Mirko turn to the darkness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, it's a lot more interesting to have an ordinary person turn evil, or or have an ordinary person uh, uh, turn to adventure. Uh, then it would be to just, you know, oh, he was, he was always a bad boy and then he became a bad boy and, uh, <laughs> he, he is going to be evil forever. Like, right. uh, it, the, the example I used was, uh, uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. What I wanted to figure out was what was, when did Mirko cross the threshold? Right. And because he's a necromancer, I, it needed to be dark and it needed to be tragic. 
so the the thing that I came up with, the, the, the reason that he became a necromancer and he rejected the gods as he was a former, uh, a former priest um, whose church was attacked by undead wolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, he saved himself, but at the cost of all of his congregants. And so he has this bitterness inside of him. Um, that was there when he was younger and uh, he became even more embittered after this and sort of went on a quest of revenge. Like that, the the attack on the church was Mirko's threshold. And then he went on his adventure. Uh, it can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. In his part, it was, uh, it was t- tainted with evil because he wanted to destroy the person who destroyed him. Um, so... That's kind of my character creation philosophy. Uh, what I ended up doing with Garav was I sent him probably about 2,000 words um, in, our, in our sort of Facebook discussion. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he read all of it, and that's <laughs> fine. I don't expect him to. Um, I did read all of it, actually. Did you? Oh, I God, did. you're a saint. Good um, on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but that's, you know, it, it's usually just kind of a week of obsessing over what I want to do, mm-hmm. and then it sort of culminates in this document that I fire up um, that touches on all the points of my character. And, and, and that's my... Character creation philosophy is, you know, I have this, you know, okay, Tyler wants to play a necromancer, and then it just becomes, I, I, I work on it, and I obsess on it, and then uh, the explosion of uh, creativity usually comes out uh, in, in that format. And that's what I've done for most of the games that I've done here. I even did that to Jordan, too, with the, uh, the one-shot character that I brought in. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's true. We had a lunch meeting, oh, so you could yeah. tell me about the background of your character, and we could talk about how that would um, affect the game. Yes. Yes. And so that, that, is, that is what works for me, and that's my philosophy. And I find that when I know this person's past, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it a lot easier for me to justify the decisions that this person makes based on his past. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that Mirko is fearless, but it is because he doesn't fear death because he's borderline, you know, uh, suicidal. Sure. Uh, he, he, he's, he's just not afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like... The fact the, the the writing that all out kind of gave me um, gave me the rest of the character. Right, so. right. So you kind of do like a like a deep dive into like uh, what makes this character tick, like where they came from, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and you you write it out for yourself and for your GM, mm-hmm. um, and then you kind of use that as your well of inspiration to pull from when you're trying to figure out how your character is going to respond to a certain situation. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I think it's also valuable for world building too. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, yeah. Like it, it it gives my GM stuff to work with. It gives them names. It gives them specific people. I don't know if um, you know if Garav considered it, but I have this villain in my life mm-hmm. um, and ultimately I'd love Mirko to have a confrontation with this villain mm-hmm. it doesn't have to happen but it's just kind of some little little things I'm putting out there I, mm-hmm. I, I put out his uh, you know his history in uh, uh, the town that he was raised in you know I added a little bit to that like like world building I think is uh, as a GM I loved world building uh, whenever my characters were able to do it or whenever my players were able to do it because um, that that just gives me lots of lots of little things to pull from. So is that yeah, kind of along the line of the question Garav asked. So as a mm. GM, yes, um, is that is that kind of what you like? Ideally, from a group of your players, mm. they would kind of take the same approach to uh, to creating their characters that you do. Yes, exactly, and, and and it's a lot to ask of people. So I, I wouldn't expect them to to shoot me, you know, a a, a three page single space document of uh, <laughs> their character's history. Um, but but. 
you know, the the bare minimum that I asked, and this is what I asked of my players when I was doing my Starfinder mini campaign, was what what caused you to want to become an adventurer? Uh, and, and because it is a it is an uncomfortable life, it is a dangerous life, it is not something that ordinary people do. So why did your character cross that threshold uh, uh, to become? Uh, an adventurer to put their life at risk like this, you know, leaving the comforts of their home uh, to do this. Yeah, and I, and so that yeah, that when when I was GM, like when I did that with Starfinder, I, that's what the thing that I asked each person. And uh, the first episode of Starfinder, if you guys go watch back, like that first hour was just this. It felt so glorious. Uh, it was just this <laughs> world building, character building, yeah. relationship building. Uh, like I was in ecstasy, just, just how they all <laughs> sort of rolled off of one another, and everybody just came in with their different concepts. Um, but but they but they mesh together so beautifully that like we, we you know I I gave them the 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 basics as like well here's the world that you're going to be in how did you get to this world and you know they they all did a great job of I, I'm sure they didn't prepare anything beforehand but when we were at the table um, they come up they came up with some great stuff and it gave me a lot to work with mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. cool yeah so that's right. one way of doing things. yeah mm -hmm. and I I know for uh, I know for a fact because. Because I'm married to her, <laughs> that uh, that Megan takes uh, kind of a, a very different approach to to that. So I think I think we should we Megan? should do Megan next. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Ron? That sounds good to me. Are you okay. cool with that? Let's yeah, hear definitely. It. Uh, so first of all, I really approach playing RPGs, especially since uh, being on saving throw, as I would an actor, because that's what my background is in, and that's really what I enjoy about RPGs is the acting, the role-playing, whatever, that side, the side of that that crosses over into my acting is what I really, really enjoy. And it, it has been very beneficial for me, actually. So so uh, I, it kind of touches on that. So I'll kind of talk about some of my struggles. So being a perfectionist, I struggled with my acting for a long time, thinking that I needed to be able to completely transform myself into someone else. But the thing about it is, I mean, that, that can be an approach. But everything you do, every character you do is going to have you in it because that's where the honesty comes from. Um, and so what has happened for me in the past is I go, I need a full, huge, long background. I need to write it all out. I need to know every single thing or else I can't inform this character. But what that has actually done for me is completely limit me. It, it makes my, it, it puts me in such a very tiny little box that I don't feel like I can do anything because I'm so reliant on the data that I wrote down that I go, oh crap, I, don't, I can't make this decision right now because I don't remember what part of her backstory affects this. And I just get, it, it, it's almost like I give myself too much and I can't explore that world or explore that character in a more three-dimensional way, which seems counterintuitive almost, but that's really how it has affected me. Uh, I also exist in the world through emotion. Everything I do is feel-based. I, I just, that's how I exist. And that's also how I've approached my acting. It's how I approach a character. Um, and, and even when, it, you know, if I'm dealing with a script or if you're dealing with a character or something like that, I want to go through and mine the psychology out. And so what I've discovered is it's much more beneficial to me. I like to know a few basic things, but I almost like to get sort of a stereotype of a, of a character and, and for me, I'm fascinated by human psychology and how that, how, how that affects someone and almost going from, here's a, here's a person, just outside of anything else, here's a person and here's how they feel, what things could have caused that. And then my biggest thing with acting, I hate auditioning because I don't get to play with somebody else. I enjoy playing with other people 
And that that is one thing. Any any show, any uh, game I've ever played, when I have other people who who like we can bounce off of each other and we kind of get what each other's laying down and we can grow from that, that's when I feel like my characters really blossom because that informs me so much. And I love informing other people. So in a lot of ways, um, I actually heard recently uh, when we were doing the wild cards chat back uh, and somebody asked something about backgrounds and I'd never thought about like, like this, but Jordan Bridgen made a comment. He said he doesn't, at least streaming games wise, he doesn't like to think of anything else that happens outside of the live stream as that that's the only thing that's actually canon. So, you know, we've spent a lot of time creating other things behind the scenes and discussing things, but at the end of the day, what happens in the moment is what really informs everything. And, and I that applies to home games too. It like does. not just streams. Yeah. So basically no, no, no. that concept applied to a home game would be if it is nothing has happened as canon until it is stated and in dealt with at the game table, essentially. So a lot of, for me, it's about finding that balance between, I like to have some information, but I do find if I put too much work into it before before the game or whatever it may be, as far as like putting down concrete things, it inhibits my ability to play. Uh, and another thing along the lines of creating like gadget for Barovia, uh, it is a lot, I actually really hate building characters because I get so stressed out because I want them to be so perfect and so mm. developed and whatever. And that's my perfectionism. And it completely shuts down my creative mind. It just shuts me down. Um, I do find making characters for like a smaller campaign or for a one shot way easier because, I, because I'm like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm not sticking with them. They'll mm. be, and they often are more fun mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because, and more dynamic even at the beginning than my other characters. Because when I'm creating a character for this ongoing campaign, I'm like, oh, it has to be the best character mm -hmm. I've ever made. Sure. Uh, and it's I also get about it. it's scarier to take risks yes. on on yes. creating a character when you're when you know you're like I'm gonna be stuck with this for forever. So <laughs> if I take this big risk and it sucks, like that's what I have to live in. Yeah. So right. I have found a lot of basically what I've been trying to do is trust my subconscious, my mind, my imagination, my whatever to give me something in the moment and to follow that because that's everything that I kind of fight against, which completely shuts me down and keeps me from being able to be creative and make interesting choices. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I feel like I'm dancing somewhere between giving myself some background. You know, I like to know where they're from. Why I, I do think it's great to have some uh, dynamic of why are they adventuring or why are they whatever. I like knowing those things, but I almost want, to go in and just see what happens and then a lot of that stuff develops for me as the game continues and that's really for Rosalina on wild cards very much what happened I mean I sat down and talked to a bunch of the cast for a while especially Jordan and I since Pridgen since our characters are so intertwined um, and we did spend a lot of time talking but a lot of the backstory for her has really come about as the show has come on and then we've added it later um, yeah, so that's kind of my approach. I, I feel like mine is all a balancing act. It's a balancing act of still of not doing too much backstory that I limit myself, but to having enough that I feel like I'm informed. And then also along the lines of for a GM, because I know different GMs like different things, I tend to, I've always approached things as, well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, which honestly has sort of been detriment for me. Like that makes me nice, but that doesn't do a whole, it's not very interesting sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that I do that with GMs. I think I ran into this with wild cards. I, I had been in games before in which I created a lot of like, here's what they're going for, here's what they want, and it kind of felt limiting. 
Uh, and it also like would never come up. It never so came up. It, right. it kind of felt like yeah. all this thing is you're like you've created this cool like character like this is their personal quest and the GM's like okay cool whatever we're gonna do this other thing. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> thanks though. <laughs> so and that was frustrating and confusing and so in uh, whenever I created Rosaline I kind of I I left her more open ended which I actually think became not a problem but became a bit more difficult for the way the show was being run and the way that you were approaching it. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's just been kind of interesting. And like, I think I gave for Barovia, I sort of gave you a few things, but I left it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so much more generally interested in going, I don't know, throw something at me. Like here's sort of the way I feel, throw something at me and it will become that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily work for every GM. So I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. And as a GM, having really not GM'd a whole lot, uh, I, I really... I don't I don't entirely know what I want. I think more than anything, I want my players at the table to to join in the world with me and really get down into it and bounce off of me and play with me. That's my big thing. I love to have enough information to kind of give them something to really um, shine with their characters on. So, you know, whatever that may be, I don't know. I don't know that I've GM'd enough to entirely know. Mm -hmm. um, I think if somebody gave me a really long backstory, I'd be super stressed out by it, to be honest. <laughs> so I'd be like, ah, how do I put all this in there? But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, 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 I really, I like to focus on the moment more than the background. There's background mm -hmm. elements that I definitely want, but I almost want it to... I don't know, come to me in the moment more than anything else. Yeah, that was that was essentially what happened with uh, David uh, um, David Crennan uh, when I when I did a my first episode or my first three episode series of Never Tell Me the Odds. I I, I came at David with my typical um, <laughs> huge wall of text, and he was like, "Oh, this is great. This is awesome. Uh, we can't use any of this, uh, but, <laughs> but I'm so glad you did this." Like. <laughs> Like, okay, cool. Because it was a really detailed, like, you know, uh, how did she get her Jedi Force powers? And it was this, you know, she went to the other side of the planet. And I was, you know, I was kind of building the opposite, you know, I was building this world. And he was just like, cool, cool. Um, yeah, we can't we can't do any of that. But, you know, great work. Good job. <laughs> See you on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I think that kind of hurts. So. That's interesting. <laughs> well, no, it was, it was still, it really, it really helped. Uh, me personally, I, I don't necessarily do it to give my GM a task list. Sure, sure. It's all about you know this is this is how Tyler wants to play his character. Mm -hmm. So even sure. if, even if he can't use his history, and I told him that at the time too. Like if he can't use any of this, you know that's cool. Right, I'm that, good. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so going around the table even further, yeah. Jordan. Oh, it's me. Uh, I know you have a very different way of doing things uh, with your characters as well. I do. Uh, mine is more similar uh, to Megan's, and I also have an acting and performing background. And one of the things that um, they have you do, like I don't know, everyone does this at various points in their acting training career. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, it happened a lot in high school. Um, we would do um, plays or scenes in class, and they would be like, "All right, I want you to write out a character backstory yeah. for for this character." So not only is it, a, it's not a character you've created, uh, it's a character who has lines and a story in the script, and then you write up your personal backstory for that. And that always, for me, was completely arbitrary. Same, same with, like, honestly the same. I, I yeah. hated having to do that. I'm oh like, my God. who gives a shit? I hate it. I was yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Um, I, you know what? I liked it, and I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I suck at it, and I hate it. Right. It was one of those things where I was like, I'm just, I'm bad. Well, yeah. it's, it's not your character. It's somebody yeah. else's creation. But also, you're Why like, would you... I guess I'm a bad actor, because I don't like this, and I'm not any good at it. But, like, you know, I played Paul in Moon Over Buffalo, and if you're not a student of theater, don't worry. Paul is basically <laughs> just this sort of, like, 
milk toast, just kind of like nice gee whiz kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, um, he had a single mom, and uh, he went to high school in I don't know Arizona, and like I don't know, and none of it ever came up. Like yeah. none of it helped me. None of it was beneficial. Um, and so I, I kind of have always pulled that into my uh, character creation at the table. Um, I have a mind for detail. Mm-hmm. When I hear details that interest me, I hook onto them and I file them away and I remember. I build a file in my head of all these little details about these other things. Um, so what I like to do when I'm creating a character is I just come up with a broad strokes concept. I will typically know how the character talks. I will know their general point of view towards the world at large, and I'll know sort of what their deal is. Um, so an example of this, uh, when uh, the first show that Megan and I played in on Saving Throw was uh, Black Bag. That was a cyberpunk, uh, distant, or no, uh, near future dystopian kind of sci-fi horror thing. Uh, and my character was a uh, con artist, and um, I knew he was uh, an attractive kind of like, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like his insides had been scooped out. He was sort of like an empty, oh, soulless, soulless husk yeah. of a person uh-huh. um, who was really cynical and jaded about things, but was really, really good at manipulating people. Mm. And that was what I what I wanted to do. That was all I had. Um, and then details would arise during the game. Like I would see an opportunity for something cool. Like we would be like uh, trying to to collect something. Like ah, oh, if only we had something to put this in. I'd be like, oh, I have. Of a plastic bag right here. And then it became a thing that, like, he always had Ziploc bags in his pockets because he was just, car- like, almost extremely <laughs> overprepared for things. Yeah. Like, it, it would be things like, oh, yeah, I happen to have rented uh, several bus lockers all over the city, and I keep them rented just in case I need to store things in secure locations. And it's just <laughs> stuff like that that kind of spiraled out of that one decision that I had a Ziploc bag in my... Or there was another thing I just decided I got my... I was undercover as a janitor at this large corporation, and I decided that he had his uh, janitorial jumpsuit uh, dry cleaned and pressed every weekend. And then, like, I used those things to kind of further inform the development of my character at the table. Hmm. <clears throat> See, that, what's so interesting about what he's saying there is I did the opposite. I had I had a, a specific reason that my character was there and what she was doing, and that character, honestly, Josie, had no personality. <laughs> she just didn't. Uh, she was boring, in my opinion. And uh, yeah. yeah, so. And part of the reason I do that is because I've played with a lot of different gaming groups and I've played with a lot of different GMs, and everyone always has their own like specific approach, and I have found. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about this when I talk about what I prefer as a GM. If I do all this work and I come to the table with this concept and it's like, oh, this doesn't work with what anyone else here is doing, then I'm uh, like, okay, whoops. Like, <laughs> I don't fit here at all. I don't fit with the game world. I don't fit with the other players. Like, I'm being a serious character and everyone else here is a, a, a goofy, like, uh, I, I keep slinkies in my pocket, like, just for fun. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I've messed up. Um, so I kind of started to pull back on doing a lot of work from the get-go and just sort of come in with my concept, see how it fit at the table, and then carve out my, like, niche Mm -hmm. at the table in real time as a reaction to everyone else, as a reaction to the GM, and then also using my, my broad strokes kind of approach to it, pulling from that and creating my well of characterization as I went. So, like, um... And sometimes I'll make really bizarre decisions at character creation and then just try and justify them later on. Like, I had, um, 
I remember we had to create our characters for that Call of Cthulhu game, and I decided I was going to take a little bit of skill in another language, and the language I chose was Brazilian. Uh, and I was like, That's yeah, not a Brazilian. Um, it's not a language. <laughs> There's no such thing. Well, Portuguese. Yeah, I know, but... I actually, well, that's actually, it was Portuguese. Portuguese okay, was right. the language I put. And the reason eventually became because ah. my character had a thing for Brazilians. Like that was, oh, my character was bisexual of that. So men or women, women from Brazil, mm -hmm. I, it was kind of like his thing. So he had learned some Portuguese so he could impress them when he was trying to hook up with Brazilian people. Like that was my justification for that. And I was like, well, there we go. That makes sense. And this fits with the character I've created. Um, so that's sort of my approach. So the, when when you have a GM who sort of comes to you and, and gives you sort of their pitch for the world, mm -hmm. does that inform your your character choices? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. So, like, I, I very much want my character to fit in the world at the table. So I, I prefer when, uh, in a game I'm playing in, if the GM gives me a, a, their vision of the game, and I want to know, like, if they're wanting it to be more lighthearted and fun, or if they're wanting it to be more dramatic and grounded, uh, if they want to focus on horror, if they want to focus on high fantasy adventure, if they want to focus on intrigue, whatever. Uh, and then I take that, and I use that to create my sort of broad character template. Mm -hmm. And then I go to the table, and I see what that GM-specific definition of all those terms is because yeah, it's over the, the course same, of playing right? it's not always the same as mine uh -huh. they're like they're like oh, i want it to be grounded and dramatic and i'm like cool and then we end up doing something like a soap opera as opposed to like something that i think of as grounded right. and dramatic um right, right. um uh -huh. so so that's kind of why i take that sort of less structured approach because then it gives me more freedom to create the character as i play that's going to be fun for me to play and fit in the world of the game. Um, so as a GM, I like to kind of do the same thing with my players. I like to be very explicit in the tone, in the style of game that I'm going for, and yeah. I want to I let them know, here's what I'm looking for, here are sort of the beats, like this is the kind of game that I'm planning on running. So create your characters with that in mind. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, I don't mind if a char if if one of my players really wants to deep dive into character background. Like on Wild Cards, uh, Dom was the one who really wanted to get down into like character backstory, hmm. and he gave me all of this stuff about this Baron that he had failed to protect this town against, and all of these details. And I was like, cool. Is it okay if we if we walk some of those details back a bit? to give me the freedom to um, make it fit more into the game. Because I had already sort of created the concept for the first season of that campaign, and there wasn't room for any of that in the story that I was trying to tell, but I wanted to honor the work that he had done and the thought he had put into this mm -hmm. by giving um, giving the, the game some space to incorporate his storyline. Um, but I felt like it would be more difficult for me to do that if everything was so specific about it. Because then I would have to go, okay, that's not really sort of the game I was playing, but now I have to sort of change that in order to fit his specific background. Um, so instead I had him back off on some of those details and leave some of it a bit more nebulous so that I could find a way to, to organically weave it into the game. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, he, he named this character the Baron, and there is a well-known character in the world of Deadlands, a big mover and shaker who, it, who goes by the name of Baron. And I was like, it would be really cool if I could find a way to make that character 
his character, but there's a couple details in his backstory that would prevent that from happening. <laughs> so I asked him if he was cool with that. Like, first, I, I didn't just make that decision to be like, all right, cool, I'm going to throw a lot of that out the window and just do this instead. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, what I prefer is kind of, I love it when characters bring stuff to the table, but I want them to kind of work in broad strokes for my game too so that I can more easily incorporate their personal quests, their personal stories into the game without feeling like I have to be like, um, okay, cool, so you're on the run from the, uh, like, a European uh, secret society. Awesome. Uh, I don't really have any way to justify that in my game world here, so I guess I'm going to have to bring in a lot of European characters? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think as, as a player who gives GMs this headache, I, I think it's important for the GM to say no. Uh, sure. Because, uh, at, at that meeting, because... You know, otherwise there could be like you know to to, to just be very clear um, with with the person, just like you know this is this is great, but this isn't the story I'm telling. This is good for maybe something down the line. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. I and, always want to try and say yes to my players, but mm -hmm. I feel like a really detailed character background is a great opportunity, not for yes and or no, but to say yes, but yeah, like yes. I, I love this, but is it cool if we rework a few of these details so it fits more into the story I was trying to say, mm -hmm. uh, trying to set up so that we can play with it more, yeah. more easily and sooner? Um, so that's and, and you talked about three single space pages. The very first game, <laughs> the very first game that I DM'd, uh -huh. um, I had created it with this group, and then another one of our friends was like, "Oh, I, I want to play too," and I was like, "Cool, um, I'll work you into the next episode," and he gave me. Eight single-spaced pages wow. of character background, and I was a new DM. I was like, "Cool, I'm not going to read any of this. <laughs> like, I I'm already overwhelmed with all the rules and stuff I have to read. Like, I do not have time to read this novella yeah. that you wrote me about your character." I was like, "And and also just flipping through it, I don't think any of that's going to come up. So like, I'm just going to toss it to the side. Nice. And none of it ever came up, and none of it was important. And I was like, "Wow, I saved myself a lot of time. <laughs> I would not do that now as a GM. I am more comfortable in my role as a GM, and I." I would, I would still very much like to honor the work the player had done, but at the time I was like, this guy's so annoying. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, thanks for the work. Yeah. Um, I think that's something to consider that if you're if you're starting out as a GM, your 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 take at characters will evolve as you become more experienced. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it'll definitely uh, get easier for you to bring in more character elements that people want you to bring than they talked about in the session zero or whatever. And this is also very important. Have a session zero. We've talked about this. Well, yeah. yeah. So Full important. Episode on it. If yeah. I correctly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then. Thanks. <laughs> same, same thing as a GM. Um, I like to see, so I kind of work in those broad strokes, and then I come to the table, my players come to the table, and I see what their definition of all the terms I gave them is, mm. and what uh, and what um, their definition of the character concept that they gave me actually works out playing as, because there are some players that have this really cool idea for a concept, but they don't always know how to execute it. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I want to be this tough, street, streetwise, like, quick-talking person. And they get to the table, and they're like, oh, but I have a really hard time coming up with things to say on the fly. <laughs> and then what I like to do is be, is be able to, like, okay, I know what their concept is. I know what they're trying to do here. So I'm going to facilitate that with the way that the world reacts to them. Mm -hmm. So they can say something like, yeah, well, your face... And then I'll have it be, the NPCs will be like, oh my god, that's so hurtful. <laughs> like, you always do that with, it's so simple the way you do things, but that hurts my feelings. You know how I feel about my face. Um, and, and then that way, it's still kind of collaborative, and you, you have everyone's ideas, and you figure out how they all slot together at the table. Um, that's, that's the approach I like to take. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I, I think um, I, I think there there's room for like all of these to coexist. Oh yeah, too. definitely. So oh, yeah, Gruff. So being Speaking of coexisting, being the only one here who doesn't have an acting background, <laughs> um, I, I I was uh, you know I've done improv and that's my only sort of theater experience, um, and so I have a very different uh, take on characters, uh, but it's not too different from you guys. I I I have a loose background that I bring, usually in D&D, in 5th edition, or any edition usually. I think 5th edition has the, the background feature where you get to roll on a table and you get to choose background uh, mm-hmm. abilities as a flaw, as an ideal. There's a couple other things, but basically you get to you can roll that or choose that. Um, and so I've been using that for most of my characters in D&D, but I also, because I come from an improv background, I when I get to the table, I use that to facilitate some of my decisions, but then also I'll make some decisions on the fly and then see how the characters, the other players, and the GM react to that. <laughs> and then if they react well to it, I'll make that a note in my head, like, that's where I should lean towards in character. Mm-hmm. And that's a very improv thing to do. Like, when the audience laughs at something, you know, you, you've struck a chord with them, you should go towards that a little more. Yeah. So Keep I'm... mining for those nuggets of laughter. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if I could just interject, this reminds me, uh, when I was at the table of It's Always Cloudy in Barovia, uh-huh. uh, I just sort of decided on a whim that Mirko hates elves. Oh yeah! And holy yeah. cow! Yep. That's been ice that was thrown my way. Yeah. When that came out, I was just like, "Okay, cool. I guess I love elves then." Like, <laughs> well, that's not going away. Everybody knows it now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we just we just sort of t- it was just a just a silly you know thing that he had, and I was yeah. just like, "Oh, okay, that that went over like a uh, yeah. like a lead balloon." Yeah. So. But that's, that's... Let's, let's leave that alone. How but dare you? Using that as a reaction on the table, I can I can sort of like twist that whenever I need to add a little element like mm-hmm. this guy doesn't like you and he's an elf yeah, you're right <laughs> like easy, uh, easy you drama. did introduce an elf NPC I did very yeah. next episode yeah, I did mm-hmm. um, just to test the waters so <laughs> for for an example of that like uh, for wild cards Howell Melton was a character that Jordan actually built for me as, as a one shot character for season one and basically you just said uh, you're a very nice uh, you have a code of honor you're a, a frontier gentleman I don't think you said those exact words. Those I are said, my words. No, I actually, on your character sheet, I think I wrote you were the consummate frontier gentleman. That but was... did you write gentleman? Yeah. I did not. That's the part I'm, <laughs> I, I, I want to be specific about. Okay. Uh, but uh, he, so uh, the way I played him uh, initially was that he loves his wife. He's very protective of everything that he's built in this world. And he's, uh, towards women, he's very, I mean, not even just women, towards everything. He, he's a little naive. And that also comes from his doubting Thomas hindrance, which is basically that he doesn't really believe in uh, voodoo or magic or any supernatural thing. He just kind of blows it off and explains it away. But then I, I took that to the next level to where he would just like, like there was a character, Tort Law, I've talked about this, that she talked about turning into an owl, like in front of everybody, like, I'll just turn into an owl. And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> is that an actual <laughs> thing? Like, he just took it as like, she's going to the bathroom. That's why she runs away to do those things. It's like, okay, that's strange, but I guess I'll let the woman have her, have her way, whatever she wants to do. But so using a hindrance is a good way uh, that I found to build a character. And then people reacted well to that. People had a laugh at it of him being a very naive person. So I was like, I can play that a little more. But then he also has a serious side that came out uh, beyond that, because of his love for his wife, that continued later on, um, and so reactions are a good way that I like building my characters at the table. So I come up with a very something something very loose, and then build out from there based on how people react to that character. Hmm. Um, how the other players at the table react to that character, and the GM, yeah, and the GM, oh yeah. Um, so 
that's how I do it as a character that I'm playing. As a GM, I uh, want my players usually to have a loose background as well, but I really don't really want them to build too much because I, I care more about the bonds between the characters than I do about that one person's character. Mm-hmm. Like, why... Why are these people together? Why are they going to adventure together? I usually like the people to ha- to, to know them uh, each other before the adventure starts. So that just makes things a whole lot easier for everybody. You don't have to have that three episode se- uh, like or three session uh, arc where they're like, I don't know if I trust this guy yet. Yeah. That's... Oh, he came through in battle. I guess I trust him now. Yeah. That's or a big or, pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Or the rogue oh. that's like, I'm gonna steal this treasure right. and not tell everyone yeah. that I found it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like that. <laughs> and then all the other players are like, All right, I'm suspicious of this rogue, and I'm like, No, you didn't see him steal the treasure, yeah. so you don't know that he did. I don't yeah. know. I still think I'd be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd rather have a rogue who the party already knows is sort of like a thief and will steal whatever they want, kind of like Gadget mm-hmm. is. And they're very much like, no, don't do that. But all right, yeah, you got that. All right, that's fine. Stop it, catch it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I prefer the characters knowing each other, and I uh, the bonds between characters for me are much more important because I think mm-hmm. that's what builds the world and builds uh, um, sort of the the what's it called the what's another way of saying bond that isn't just bond. I suddenly camaraderie. Camaraderie. What you say? Chemistry. That's the one I wanted. Yeah. The chemistry between characters and players. And players, sure. I yes, think it's very it's a important. Big deal. Yeah, I'm with you. That yeah. is probably the most. I mean, that's. I guess when I was saying what I like to pl- play, that's what I mean too. Is that bond? Mm-hmm. That's that's where those relationships, where things get really deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me. Yeah. So I think the the takeaway from all of this, as it so often is on experience pointers, is your mileage is going to vary uh, depending on mm-hmm. the kind of game you're playing and and what you enjoy. But I think like as far as being a GM goes. Like be upfront with your with your players about what it is you're doing and what you would like from them, but also be willing. Like Tyler, you obviously, thankfully, have the realistic expectation that your players are not all going to write you like, yes. a short story about their character. Yeah, both, both that my my players aren't going to do that, and that my GM is not going to take my story and have it that just become the campaign. Sure, you know, I I wouldn't want that at all. But this is, yeah, like for for someone with with the kind of approach that you have, like something useful as a GM that you could give as like a middle ground to your players. Like Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of really great character questionnaires that's just like answer these 10 questions about your character. And then you can see from how your players respond. If someone's like one word responses on all of them, you're like, cool, this person doesn't really want to get into it. Mm -hmm. But if someone's like writing in the margins of their character questions, like that makes me think about this. You're like, okay, you, Mm -hmm. I I feel like we can have a a different kind of understanding here. We can deep dive into your character a bit more. Mm -hmm. And then um, also I think as a player at wanting to do that with like, with the character background that you have, if your GM is like, Okay, cool. Like, if your GM was like me when I first started out, great, cool, I'm not going to read this and it's never going to be important. <laughs> I don't think it would be out, outside of uh, the realm of what is acceptable for you to go, okay, is it? Is there anything we can do to kind of change some of this to make it fit a little bit more in the game mm. so that I have something I can pursue? Because this really helps me uh, bring more to the table as a player. And then work with your GM to, like, find a, a compromise sort of thing, you know? Like, and, and as a GM, be open to that. Don't, mm-hmm. don't... Don't be like me and be like, no, this sucks. I'm not going to read it. Like, you know, it's what they want to do. So uh, so see, like, help your players follow their own fun. 
uh, and you will have more fun and a happier group of players at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, be that that's that's really like everyone has a different approach to it. Clearly, we each have four different approaches here, both as GMs and as players. So figure out a way to kind of like let those all sort of melt together in a beautiful uh, candy bar. Kinda. kinda yeah, you got your nougat and your caramel and your peanuts and your chocolate, but all of it together kind of makes a new thing, you know? It's a pile of. You see what I'm saying? Chocolate and nougat. I'm just trying. Delicious. To, I'm trying to push this back. I think basically the pun that Ben Dana sent us at the beginning of the show was prophetic in a way, <laughs> and I'm exploring that. This is they call it a callback. Ex- yeah, it's a callback. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's time for the, the question, question of the so See, Tyler did that. We didn't even did. tell him we were going to do that, but he knew to do it with us. Because I've watched this show before. Yes, you, you watched it. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. I watch it. I stare at our window every weekend. <laughs> the up and downs uh, on my little player. And I he's, go, mm, he's they're got, making words with those vibrations. He's got the Windows Media Player yeah, yeah. Uh, visualization <laughs> turned on. Yep. Wow. Uh, I can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the question this this episode uh, is on the RPG Reddit, and the question is, if you could visit any place from any RPG, where would it be? And this is from The Last Radio. So, yeah, any place from any RPG, where would it be? He, he also goes on, or they also go on to say that uh, if you were able to vi- physically visit any place from the lore of any RPG, where would it be? And let's say you could just visit the place and not succumb to any horrors from that place. So I, I, I'm assuming that means, like, say, if you wanted to visit something like the Court of Azatoth or something from Call of Cthulhu, that you would not immediately go insane upon seeing it. Let's assume not. But wow. even so, like, would that be better? Like, it, would it be better to go to some hellish place like that and be like, oh, cool, my mind cannot crack under the pressure of what I'm seeing, so instead <laughs> I have to recognize and see all of these things yeah. and take in what they mean. Yeah. This is terrible, and I am forever changed by this. <laughs> Time for a selfie! Right. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to go back and, and see some famous battle that had happened, it'd be like, battles are horrific. Yeah. Like, they're gory and nasty and yeah. screamy, and like... You know, like, it probably wouldn't be as neat as you hope it would be. Just, Here I am by this inside out guy. Yes. <laughs> um, my answer to this one, so as soon as we looked at this question, I right away knew what my answer to this was. Mm. And it's interesting because I actually know nothing about this place in the campaign setting world. Mm. I just know that it has always intrigued me as an idea for a location. And that is uh, Sigil, the City of Doors from Planescape. Mm. Uh, which is basically this, my understanding of it, and again, I do not know, so this is all secondhand, but my understanding, it's just this sort of crazy city that is covered in these doors to other places, and the doors can work in bizarre ways, and you have to figure out how they, how to open them in order to go through them. But it's like, one of them could be like, oh, you have to be holding a fish and jump off the top of the tallest building at, a, at exactly noon, and you'll fall through the door to, <laughs> to this place. It's all stuff like that. And a place like that just sounds amazing to me. Like, that just sounds like uh, some sort of location that just defies the limits of my own imagination. And I would love to see that kind of crazy stuff in execution. Like, that's that would be really cool. Mm. Nice. How about you, Tyler? Uh, so, for me, uh, this I'm going to go back to uh, 13-year-old Tyler uh, <gasps> here. And the place I would want to visit... Uh, Oh my god, guys, Tyler just turned into a 13-year-old kid! I know! (laughs) I have acne! Um, (laughs) 
the character voices last episode. Um, uh, so uh, the place I would be inter- interested in visiting, uh, and, I, and I know I'm probably saying this wrong, but uh, I've never heard it said out loud. So Menzo Baranzan? Menzo Baranzan? I, I think that's Menzo pretty Baranzan. close. Men- Men's a, that, that's the uh, Dark Elf City? In yes, it is a Dark right? Elf City uh, sort of dreamed up by Ari Salvatore, um, who Ooh. was an author that I read almost all of his books uh, when, oh. I was a, when I was a teenager. And the, the, the sort of this, this city that he created was just fascinating. The politics of it, like the, the rankings of these houses and uh, the, the constant warfare and, and um, just, just the, 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 the deep thickness of the lore um, for this area was, uh, was fascinating to me. I don't know uh, if I was to pick these books up again as a full-grown man, <laughs> and I'm back to being a man now, um, if, 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 if it would have that same sort of appeal, because I, I've, you know, uh, th- those, those were, I guess it was young adult fiction. No, I um, mean, it, technically it was adult fiction. Yeah. But it, I also read it as a young adult, and I was like, oh, coolest thing ever. <laughs> but now that I've expo- been exposed to more stories, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. But I haven't thought about that in a really long time, yeah. but the, the setup of that city was very much like the war- the kingdoms in Game of Thrones. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. Like, but mm. I think those came out before Game of Thrones yes. started coming out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they came were... out in, like, the late 80s? The late, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Uh, I want to say, like, 90, 91. Uh, for 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 that series for the Icewind Dale, I think Icewind Dale was late eighties, yeah. and then because he did the Dark Elf trilogy after, after that, Icewind and that was Dale. in the, the uh, early nineties, and and yeah, because it was like the 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 houses could attack these other houses, mm. but it was only legal if they. Um, were successful in their attack mm-hmm. and if they failed in their attack they could be punished to the full extent of the law and like their house would be destroyed or dishonored or something yeah mm-hmm. it was really interesting yeah. and then you have this this one powerful house that you know there, there was like a top five houses and, and, and Drizzt I think came from I don't know number three or four it's been a long time since I've read yeah. it but, but you had this like this one powerful house who was like the ruling house and then you had like these 40 other houses who were all kind of like literally just literally declaring war on each other to improve their social status and and it just sounded like a fascinating uh, society to just kind of drop in on, yeah, and uh, and and see like how how would this function um, underground uh, and all that. So yeah, I, that that would be my spot. Was okay, Menzo Baranzan. Interesting. Menzo Baranzan. Have you guys not heard of that? No, before? no, I have okay. not. Did yeah. I never make you read any of the Drizzt? The Drizzt, Drizzt. I don't know how to Did say it. I think it's Drizzt. You have them. Has Jordan forced you to read any books? Because that's yes. not yes. right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what did you force her to read? Uh, what have I forced you to read? The Bible. Did I force you to read Lock and Key? Oh, God, The no. Bible, too. You didn't force me to read Lock and Key, I don't think. Okay. I wanted to read it. You, you were did? like, just read it, but I don't... Yeah, I mean, I don't force... Yeah, most of my stuff <laughs> like, is like... Sit it's down. strong suggestions. I'm not like, make it go to the reading room. But don't come out until you've read this book. It'd be hilarious for him to try to do that. Yes, it would. <laughs> it would not be fun or successful for me. No, it would not. He, um, he, even when he's like, let's go to bed, I'm like, no! Stop telling me what to do. <laughs> Let's breathe oxygen. No, I don't want to. Now you stop holding your breath. I am very much like that. Don't tell me what to do because I'm like, no, I'm going to do the opposite. Oh, man, wow. even though I know that's stupid. Girl, right. where's your place? I was going to have Megan go next. You're she's she's going to say no, so I'm just going to go. Yeah, next. It's, your, uh, it's your turn. Don't tell Megan what to do. Stop it. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to go with uh, something very predictable. I'm going to pick Ravenloft. What? Yeah, who would have seen that coming? Um, <laughs> So Ravenloft is only a setting I discovered recently through my love of D&D because I've only been playing for like a couple years. 
uh, when Curse of Strahd came out was when I discovered it, but through that I went back and read a lot of the old stuff as well. Oh yeah, and it's it's just so good. There's so much stuff that they thought up in this real like really strange demi plane they created, and I do like the fact that it is sort of separate from the rest of the world because that way it can have its own rules and its own uh, uh, deities and its own everything. Like everything is different in this world, but it still has the flavor of D and D. And then having characters that come in that are like every character that comes in this is a fish out of water. Like, they have to discover a whole new world and their new rules and everything. And the aesthetics of having, like, gothic horror and uh, just ghosts and werewolves and a vampire lord that nobody can ever defeat. Uh, it, it just, for some reason, that's always been something that stuck out in my mind as a place I'd love to go. Even though it's probably just a horrible place to be. Like, it's probably pretty horrible, but there's probably some nice stuff there, too. Yeah, I gotta say, after all that talk about horrific scene, horrific things you can't unsee, mm -hmm. you both chose some pretty dark places to go to. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? Well, I mean, I... I <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that, uh, that that appeals me, uh, appeals to me, would be sort of the society. I don't know if that's... Uh, like A Barovia? Yeah, a Barovia. Oh, or, yeah. or, like, how, how Strahd interacts They have their own these. superstitions because of centuries of centuries of enslavement, essentially. <laughs> But they're like, a lot of them are just also just spies for, for Strahd. So like, you can never really escape his watching eye because the people are usually part of that. Yeah, yeah. it sounds fun. Yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> great. <laughs> Totalitarian society, absolutely. Ah, so cool. Uh, With them spooky ghosts, though. So cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who's going to go next? I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah, right. whoever wants to go next. Yeah, man. just raise your hand if you want to take the Literally, next. Literally, this is not how this works. But anyway, uh, you know, I don't really know enough different um, settings. I mean, I I just don't, I don't remember that right now. All I can think of is the Weird West, and I don't particularly want to go there. You don't want to go there? No. Yeah, no, I don't. No, um, but what I will say, uh, I, would, I would probably... The, the, the door place you talked about sounds interesting, but I would probably pick a place that was an interesting experience that either had some particular food that was really interesting or some particular kind of animal that doesn't exist anywhere else or like a, a terrain that's just incredibly beautiful or doesn't exist on this planet uh, is probably something I would, do. I would go the, for an experience. What's the, uh, uh, in D&D, &D, uh, City of Brass in another plane that's like a sort of like uh, intraplanar marketplace? I don't know. Sounds familiar. Kind of like Spelljammer. I, I don't know. No, I, I think it was. Uh, I think it's one of in, on one of the like other planes. Mm. Yeah, something uh, like that. That and it's just like this like wondrous kind of bazaar. Uh, mm -hmm. Like the yeah city. It's in it's in uh, Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms. Mm. Uh, floating amid the elemental plane of fire, the city of brass was oh. the epicenter of Efreet culture and was the place from where the Sultan of the Efreet. Efreet? Efreet, yeah. Yeah. Efreet ruled. Something like that would be really... Cause something, something that's just like an experience. I don't... As far as, I don't know, interacting with people, I don't know. I'm more interested in like flavor or or beauty or yeah. whatever it might be. It's a... It's an a, anthropologist, I guess, right? It's oh, an intraplanar yeah. bazaar, basically. Like it was this like marketplace where you could find like all kinds of cool things you can only find mm. in the city of brass. Or oh, that's cool. Things like that. I got into a game somehow. Yeah. Well, it's in the forgot. It's in there. Like, there's a lot of information about it in your local D and D book. <laughs> your local D. Yeah. Your local D and D book. You guys don't any, have those. Oh, in any street corner in Glendale, we just have a pedestal near one of the parks, <laughs> and there's just a D and D book there. Oh. It's underneath uh, some plastic, so it doesn't get hurt by the elements or squirrels. Uh -huh. And you just open it up and flip through it, and like, you can yeah. some stuff. If it's not being used, because it's, it's it's for the for the it community. Is, yeah, it is a public thing. Yeah. So I for mean, everybody. The community yeah. D and D book. Yeah. A lot of times, there's like an old man there. And he's taking his time turning uh, the pages and you have to wait. Oh, that guy. 
Uh, well, everybody, that's the episode. That's yeah. it. Um, hey. I want to thank Tyler Rhodes. Yeah. Our special thank guest. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Thank you. It was yeah. a lot of fun. You you we back. learned a lot about Tyler today. We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Some cool stuff. He thank can transform about. into a child at will. At will. Yeah, yeah you should uh-huh. use that more often. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to freak people out. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it is a little disconcerting. It also looks like it hurts you a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm bleeding heavily. There's a lot of blood right now, but it's under my clothes. A lot of blood. And it'll be fine. Okay. The wounds usually heal. Doesn't look like an like a, a, a it'll be fine amount of blood, but okay. You know what? Honestly, I don't worry about it. You know, I, I'll either you know get better or I won't. That's True. How life sure. is, man. That's how life is. That's, that's how, how life is. is. Yeah. Um. Well, that's the show. So until next time, let's go. You did that too. Nailed it. <laughs> this podcast has been a saving throw production. You can connect with us on Twitter at expointerspod. And you can follow each of the hosts on Twitter at their respective handles. Jordan is at Jordan Callerman, Megan is at Megan Caves, and Garav is at Double GXG. You can also watch us streaming RPGs and more at the Saving Throw Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash savingthrowshow. If you want to listen to new episodes of this podcast early, consider becoming a Saving Throw Patreon backer. Patrons at the $10 level and up can listen to new episodes a week early. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you found it to help get the word out. Thanks for listening, guys.